If you will, take your Bible and turn back to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. You see the title on the screen, Pigs or People. You heard part of the, most of the text this morning, but we're going to begin reading in verse 6 tonight. If you found that, and you can, we're going to read from verse 6 to verse 20. So uh, if you can, stand to honor the reading of God's Word. When he saw Jesus from a distance, that he being the demoniac man, when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and knelt before him. And he cried out with a loud voice, What do you have to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you before God, don't torment me. For he had told him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. What is your name? Jesus asked him. My name is Legion, he answered him, because we are many. And he kept begging him not to send them out, in, out of the region. Now, large herd of pigs was there feeding on the hillside. The demons begged him, send us to the pigs so that we may enter them. And he gave them permission. Then the unclean spirits came out and entered the pig and the pigs, and the herd of about 2,000 rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned there. The men who tended them ran off and reported it in the town and the countryside, and people went to see what had happened. They came to Jesus, and they saw the man who had been demon-possessed by the legion sitting there, dressed, and in his right mind. And I always want to read, and they rejoiced. But it doesn't say that. It says, and they were afraid. The eyewitnesses described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs. Then they began to beg him to leave their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed kept begging him to be with him. But he, Jesus, would not let him. Instead, he told him, go back home to your own people and report to them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So he went out and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And they were amazed. Lord, I pray that you will take your word tonight. And I pray in simplistic form that you will penetrate our hearts that you'll get our attention. I pray, Lord, that if we're sitting here with complacent uh, attitudes about, about your word, about people, I pray, Lord, that tonight that you will take that complacency and turn it into a fire. I pray that you'll remove from us those things that distract us from your mission, from your ministry, and even from your mandate. I pray that we will see as you saw and we will do as you did in your name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. For me, chapter 5 of Mark is a very interesting chapter, 43 verses. Verse 1 through 20, verses 21 through 43 list two major stories. However, both of those stories have a story inside of a story. So there's much to be gleaned from here. Certainly, we've, we hovered this morning about the healing of this uh, demonic man. And, and it was a miracle of literally major proportions. And having said that, I will just ask you, what miracle is not of major proportions? 
If it's a miracle, it's huge. And when Jesus did this, you would think everybody would be rejoicing and having a good time about it and just have their hands in the air and thanking him. But the truth is, just like every time Jesus did something when he was on earth, he got in trouble. Because he didn't do it the way people wanted it done. And I want to say this today. In large measure, he doesn't, he doesn't work today that we want him to work today. And when we take away this story that I believe is the story in the story, I believe we literally cut away the fat and we go for the juggler vein of reality because Mark reveals or Mark exposes the things that most people attempt to hide. When I read this text, my mind always goes and asks the same question. That's the question you see on the screen. Pigs or people? Which one are we interested in? Souls or swine? Which one are we really interested in? And as you get to this part of the story, it all comes down to one word or one concept. It comes down to the word of focus. It comes down to the word of priority. What is our focus? What is our priority? Can I just say this to you? Your focus and your priority is revealed by what it is that you protect. It's revealed by what it is you preserve. It is revealed by what it is that you promote. Whatever you protect, protect, promote, and preserve is really our focus. For instance, focus of many people is hip. National Bank. To make the most money, put the most money up, protect the money, preserve the money. It's all about the money. But that's not the only, only focus in this country. It was back in 1990 that, Dr., that George Barner did a survey and he released a book entitled The Frog and the Kettle. And there's a chapter in that book that talks about you can mess with a lot of things in America, but you better not, you better not fool with their free time with their pleasure because they will fight you over their free time. It has such a high priority on it. So tonight, I'm going to make this simple, and you believe it or not, I believe it's going to be short. I'm going to take two thoughts, and then I'm going to bring home a thought. If we look at what happened to the pigs and we look at how the crowd responded, I want you to see, first of all, the focus of Christ. Now, that's easy. That's an easy one because Jesus was, is, always will be focused on the souls of man. Might be better said in this politically correct society, the souls of mankind. And if you follow Jesus' life through the Gospels, rarely does he allow anything to distract him in his focus, in his priority. He came with a purpose of seeking and saving that which was lost. He began his ministry with this thought. He lived out his ministry with this thought. He taught with this thought. And one day he died with this thought because it was his priority. It was his purpose. It was his focus. It was his ministry. 
In fact, you can take any situation, including this one, you can take any situation that Jesus faced and his focus always prevailed. The woman at the well, he was concerned about the woman. The woman caught in adultery, he was concerned about the woman. The woman who sat at his feet and anointed his uh, feet with oil, and the, the woman that anointed his feet with tears. The woman who let her hair down and took care of him, worshipped him. You see, when Jesus saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion because he sensed that the multitude had no sense of purpose, no direction. And no connection to the Heavenly Father. They had no hope of getting into eternity. Jesus then goes out on the mountainside and he looks at all Jerusalem. And he weeps over Jerusalem and he says, Man, how many times would I have gathered you just like a chicken gathered her young chicks? Everywhere Jesus went, he saw people in eternal terms, not in temporary terms. He saw people not based on their status. I mean, you think about it. Their status mattered little to Jesus. Whether it's the rich young ruler, whether it's Nicodemus, or whether it's all or Zacchaeus, they were all given the same treatment from Jesus. And oh, by the way, they were given the same treatment. Two of them walked away. And he let them. Because they were not ready to commit. They were not ready to do like the Gadarene demoniac did this morning and come and just fall before him in repentance and submission. He even, don't you think about it, he's standing one day in the temple watching people give. Oh, wouldn't y'all like to do that? Wouldn't y'all like to do that? Wouldn't, wouldn't that be good, Don? We'll set a plate up here and let everybody start filing by and putting in their gifts. And one man came by who everybody knew was rich and he dropped in a lot of money. Ah, yeah. Somebody else dropped in a good bit of money. Remember who got a, who caught Jesus' eye? It was the widow who dropped her mite. And he said, she's given more than them all because she's given all that she had. Jesus doesn't really care about status. But now to get to this story. When he stepped off the boat, there was a man, he, the man who had lived in the graveyard, the man who slept in the graveyard, the man who was dirty, the man who was full of demons, the man who was full of death. He had the stench of death on him. His clothes were just ripped and torn and tattered. He wasn't approachable. He wasn't presentable. But our loving Lord, as I said this morning, didn't see him like he was. He saw him how the Lord God, the Father in heaven, saw him. Jesus saw this man as a, as a person made in the image of God. In fact, our Father would call him his crown creation. It didn't matter the color of his skin, the color of his dirt. It didn't matter who he was. And yes, he was full of the devil. But Jesus saw him as someone who could be redeemed. Do you see people who are outside of God as someone who can really be redeemed? 
I mean, you think about how compassionate Jesus is. He even was compassionate to the demons. He granted their wish. He saw this man as he could be, just like he sees us as we can be. Can I just play with your mind a second? How easy would it have been for Jesus? Quite likely, it's just to speculate, quite likely when that man approached Jesus that the disciples go, oh no, we need to call a deacon's meeting and get these guys, it's a guy away from Jesus. This is one of the bad dudes. I've heard about him. He's got a bad reputation. I can't even chain him up. How easy would it have been for Jesus to look at this man full of a thousand demons and say he was beyond redemption. He's beyond the reach. And yet, please listen. Jesus is in the cleaning business. Jesus is in the cleaning business. This is what he does. And guess what? He's willing to sacrifice pigs for a man. Jesus stayed focused on this person standing in front of him and not the demons and not the evil and not the death and not the stench and not how he was unlike the rest of them and not for where he lived and not for what he didn't have. Jesus stayed focused on that soul. I ask you today, before God, when you meet somebody, do you see them as someone that's made in God's image? Oh, they may not have the money you have. They may not have the status you have. They may not have the same color skin you do. But do you see them as people who can be redeemed and should be redeemed? Somebody that needs to know Jesus. That's Christ's focus. Every soul is worth the cross. You would think that with Jesus performing this miracle that everybody would be on board with him, but they're not. Never have been, never will be. The few follow him, but the crowd opposes him. So let's change it from the focus of Christ to the focus of the crowd. Focus of the crowd. Now we get down here where the story gets really interesting. For you see, Jesus has set this man free. He's removed the demons. He has set him on a new course. Now, now think about this. This man is sitting here free. We see it in verse 15. He, the one who had been possessed by demons, sitting there dressed in his right mind. And everybody rejoiced. Everybody's happy. Everybody's throwing a party. A man's been changed. He was dead. Now he's brought to life again. He was apart from God. Now he's in God's family. He was lost and now he's redeemed. Everybody's rejoicing, right? Almost sounds like a Baptist church. It seems to me as I read this that they had eyewitnesses. And those eyewitnesses, look in verse 14, the men who tended them ran off into the town to tell what had happened. Wow. I mean, their report had to be a good one because good things happened. 
And so people came from town to see what these guys were telling about, to witness, to verify it. I mean, could it be that this wild and woolly and uncontrollable and unmanageable and untouchable man is now okay? I want to say, suggest to you that in that crowd that came out to see Jesus, it were probably even the owners of the pigs. They came. They looked. They witnessed. They saw. And then... It's great. They turn to the eyewitnesses. Now they come there and they see the guy sitting next to Jesus and they're scratching their head and they turn around to the eyewitnesses and they go, would you tell us, would you repeat that one more time exactly what happened? I've seen this guy. He's crazy. How is he sitting here? Would you tell us about that one more time? And verse 16 tells us, the eyewitnesses described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man about... And told about the pigs. Oh, by the way, for all you movie buffs, animals were hurt in the making of this man. I know that the the pig owners lost a capital investment, but look, think about the triumph of the man. Think about the triumph of someone who suffered so long by demon possession, the, the one who had been set free. The one who had been under the chains of the demons. When he was under the chains of the demons, he could break the chains of of man. And yet under the control of Jesus, he broke the chains of Satan. And now he's free. So what's their bigger concern? The pigs? Or the people? I think that's a question that's a very modern day question. Up to now, we've all been enjoying this little story that don't mean much. But here, I asked you a question. Can you see that all of a sudden the price was too high for the redemption of this man's soul? All of a sudden, it cost too much. They were so focused on those pigs that they missed the miracle of a life that's been changed. So I ask you today. Have you ever considered what these pigs could represent? If you've been sleeping, please wake up. Could there be a pig in that crowd named tradition? <laughs> now, there's nothing wrong with tradition. Traditions are those things that at one time met a great need. The problem is they, they met that make great need somewhere in the past, and they mean nothing today. And we keep doing them because they worked at one time. If we keep doing them long enough, the Baptist thinking is, we keep doing them long enough, they'll come back. The problem is that tradition becomes our focus. Is there a tradition that you just have to hang on to? Could one of those pigs be named money? I mean, in these United States of America, money has become our God, our attitude, our schedules, our opinions, and our votes are almost always based on who can do the best with our money. We got fooled this time, didn't we? And I believe that we're reaping what we sold. Questions asked, what's the price?
of a man's soul. Is it $20? Is it $200? $2,000? $20,000? 20 pigs? 200 pigs? 2,000 pigs? I ask you, what are we most more concerned about? The money that we do or don't have or the people we do or don't reach with the gospel? This week when I was at Leader Lab in Montgomery, Richard Balakaby, now his dad is who wrote Experiencing God and that family has made as a ministry and uh, they've just written a new uh, Experiencing God a book entitled Reaching God. Um, excuse me, experiencing God, not reaching God. Experiencing God for your family. Y'all probably just got it not long ago. Richard and Richard talked a lot about that. But you know one of the things he said? He said, we had this conference and we had, we put the question out. What would you do, preachers, if you had a million, if somebody gave a million dollars to your church? One guy got up and said, well, we'd start this ministry, we'd start this ministry, and then we'd start this ministry, and we'd start this ministry. And when he got through, he said, I want you to think about it. You can start all those ministries without any money. You just got to have people that really want to do the ministry. I wonder if one of those pigs are money. <laughs> that money is too valuable. It's more valuable than the price of a man's soul. Now, I'm going to give you a generic one. Could one of those pigs be named your favorite ministry? Could it be whatever your favorite ministry? Could it be the music ministry? Could it be the student ministry? Could it be the men's ministry? Could it be the women's ministry? Could it be the children's ministry? What is the ministry? Could it be called Sunday night? Could it be called Wednesday night? What is your ministry that, it, that, that ranks up there that's too valuable to get rid of because, it, because it's mine? Understand that there's nothing wrong with ministries, but the ministries and the schedule and everything that we do today are man-made in large measure. They're done. You do know that somebody told me that Hueytown Baptists would never amount to hill of beans because they wasn't doing it by the Bible. And I said, what are you talking about? And I said, we got our problems, but what are you talking about? And he goes, y'all meet at 10 o'clock. Don't you know it says that you're supposed to meet at 11 o'clock? Now, you think that's funny, and he was serious. You see, we have taken things that are, that are really not spoken to in Scripture and we made them our pigs. And we're not going to sacrifice our pigs for people. So the question is, pigs are people. The early 90s, I was pastoring in South Mississippi and a, and a church called me. Pastor search team called me. They wanted to sit down and talk. And we got, had, had a very nice interview, very good people. I got to know a lot of them in days to come because while I didn't go to this church, I went to a neighboring church. But in that meeting, they were struggling. And I said, so let me just ask you a question. What if you surveyed your community and you discovered that people wanted to come to your church? but you were meeting at the wrong time. Suppose instead of meeting at 11, suppose they told you that they would come if you met at 9. 
Have you ever sat through a committee meeting of any kind and had 90 seconds of pure, unadulterated silence? And one of the young mothers, probably the honest one, most honest one there, she said, here's what I'll tell you. I would make the decision based on how it impacted me. You might feel the same way, and I'll just tell you, what's your pig? I can take you to a church in Franklin, Tennessee. They did a survey of their community. They were struggling to get 400 there on a Sunday. And the community said, you met, you meet at the wrong time. And the church floundered, fussed, did Baptist things around it for six months. And finally, they decided to act on it. Today, that church is running several thousand. Discipling people left and right. Baptizing people left and right. Because they got rid of the pig. And they focused on the person. Could it be that your pig is my schedule? Is my convenience, my desire? If so, I wonder if tacitly, when we're hanging on to our pigs, we're begging Jesus to leave our region. This is just for free. This is just for free. Has it dawned on us in this room the opportunities for reaching people, touching people, laughing with people that we're being afforded on our Wednesday nights? Oh, we're not going to have it in here this Wednesday night, but I'm not coming. Shame on you. Has it dawned on you the opportunity that God has given us to impact the lives of people just to sit around and chew the fat, have a little fun, and oh, by the way, you may be able to share a little gospel with them. There are churches in our area who, Dana and I were talking, I think, to some of the folks at Pleasant Ridge. They would give an arm to have the opportunity that we have. Pigs are people. What is it? That brings us to the last thought. Focus of Christ, focus of the crowd. Here it is. The focus of the converted. Right now I'm going to close my Bible. And I'm going to ask you very pointedly. Where is your focus? It's funny, every time I make it real personal, I can can tell people get uncomfortable because they quit listening. Pigs or people? It's personal choice. Now, in my notes, I didn't put it here, but in my notes, I went through three choices. We make at least three different types of choices. We make ignorant choices. Choices, that don't mean you're stupid. It means you're ignorant. You just don't have enough information. Then you can make an informed choice. When you get informed, then you can make the right decision that honors God or the wrong decision. Or you can make the impacting decision. You know what God's calling us to do. You know what God's calling us to be. And you say, yes. No matter what it costs me. When I read verses 19 and 20, where he says, go back home. Tell them the good things the Lord's done, how the Lord's had mercy on you. And then he actually did it. He went home and he, oh man, that's my heart's prayer for us. 
that we would that we would choose people over pigs. That we would choose to be concerned about about souls over swine. That we'd be concerned about eternity and not just time. That we will determine and decide as a church what it is that God wants from us and then do it. Bow with me if you will.